circumcision of God is not of the flesh or the foreskin, but of the heart. And God is making a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, including the Jewish people, but not only the Jewish people. And so Jesus begins by talking to this church in Philadelphia and saying, look, I'm going to make those who are the synagogue of Satan, they're, those who are persecuting you, they're going to come, they're going to bow down before your feet, they're going to know that I loved you, and they're going to worship God's chosen people are most certainly Israel. But for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have been grafted into Jesus, the root, into His family. We can now be called members of God's family. And God is continuing to do that work in each of us as we submit to Him. He's adding people to His family. There's coming a time when those that have persecuted the body of Christ will recognize Jesus and worship Him for who He is. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with the conclusion of our message entitled, Diagnosis. Just walk through. We need to say, Lord, I'm going I'm to be here as long as it takes, whatever it takes, because you have opened a door that no one can shut. And I want to be faithful, Lord, to you. I know what I found. When you are faithful to God, the people who are closest to you, you will be faithful to them. Parents, listen. If God asked you to make a tough decision for your kids, for your family that will impact your kids, you being faithful to God will ultimately be the best thing for your children. Because there's nothing more profound than when mommy and daddy come to the kids and say, listen, I believe God is leading us in this direction. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to go. But we need to be faithful to the Lord. And so, yeah, we're going to downside. Yeah, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to move across the world or across the county to a needy neighborhood. But we believe that God wants this for us, and we're willing to do it. That is the hands down, the best lesson we can teach our kids. So much more than the lesson of accumulation. So much better to teach, this is what it means to be faithful to the Lord. This is what it means to say, God, I'm going to make a tough decision, but I believe God's in this. And we need to make sure that we stick there, in that faithful place, that faithful place. I, see, this church in Philadelphia is great. God's given them an open door. They're faithful to God's word. They're faithful to his name. It's a faithful church. Now, I want you to notice because normally right now, what we would expect to be verse 9 would be something negative. But you'll notice there's nothing negative here. And I have a, a point for you with this. I'm going to say it this way. It ain't bad to be all good. Or it's not bad to be all good. If you like proper grammar, it ain't bad to be all good. It's a simple point, isn't it? It ain't bad to be all good. If there's anything in your life, if there's anything in your life that someone would call into question, then don't do it. Why? Because it ain't bad to be all good. I've heard it said this way. Would we do that if Jesus was here? You know what's funny about that question? Jesus is here. 
And if you are here today and you have put your faith and trust in God through the finished work of Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You know what that means? Then Jesus is there too. And if Jesus is there, are you really going to do that thing? Is Jesus going to be your partner in crime? It's a great way to look at our lives and say, what's going on in my life? What's happening here? Process, it's not, it ain't bad to be all good. It's interesting. The church in Sardis, the last one we listened to, they had no good spoken of them. Philadelphia has only good spoken of them. And that's why every single church, when they read the seven letters, everyone's like, I want to be the church of Philadelphia. We're the church in Philadelphia. You know what's interesting? There's another church that nothing bad is said about. Remember, as the church in Smyrna, the second letter. You notice no one wants to be the church in Smyrna. Why? Because they were the persecuted church. And no, and listen, you got to be crazy to want persecution. I mean, if God gives that to you, if that's part of your lot in life, you say, Lord, let me be faithful in the midst of this. But nobody wants to be that. But the church of Philadelphia, the church of the open door, we're like, Lord, I want to be the church in Philadelphia. And so I'm here to tell you, it ain't bad to be all good. And for some of you, even as I say that, there's things in your life that God's putting his finger on. And I just want you to simply respond to Jesus today. Just give it to him. Put that thing on the altar. Just say, Lord, I'm giving it, I'm putting it on the cross. The reason you died is because I do that. And if we're self-reflected, a lot of us, it's not just one thing. There's a litany of things. Because God's not finished with us yet. We all are in process. And God loves the process. He loves taking us from where we've been to where we're going. He enjoys it. He's a great designer. I, you often think about God as the designer. It makes you think about a, a great artist, right? And, and, and like, there's a story, and it's one of those pastor stories, so I don't know if it's actually literally happened or not. I, I've never been able to verify it. But, you know, Michelangelo was a great sculptor. And if you've ever either been to, to Italy and, and to Rome, Florence, and seen some of the sculptures, you just Google it too. It's almost as good. Costs you a lot less money, and you won't have to wait on as many lines. A sculpture begins with a big piece of marble. And then Michelangelo, somebody asked him, so how do you get from like this big piece of marble to something beautiful? He's like, well, I just take away every piece that's not necessary. A great artist already knows what the finished product is supposed to look like and just simply goes at just chipping it away. And the beauty is, is God knows what you look like perfected in Jesus finally glorified later. And until we get there, this process of sanctification, experiencing what God has already done in our lives in fulfillment, God is constantly just chipping away at stuff. Sometimes he's got the sledgehammer. Some of us know what that feels like. And you might think, well, that's bad. But you know what's even worse is when God takes out the fine sandpaper, it's just gnawing away at an area but he's just taken away everything that's not necessary. Everything that keeps us from being the people that God has called us to be. So we, some of us just need to come and say, Lord, I need to give you my anger, my bitterness, my lust, my greed, whatever your thing is. And guess what? Everyone in here has got a whole lot of them. We need to come to Jesus right now and just say, Lord, I just give it to you. I know what's good is, God's not beating you over, over the head with it. He knows that you don't like this either. And he's just saying, just come. Just come. 
Just be here. Just give it to me again today. For some of you in here, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And even today, by the end of this service, we're going to start that process because you're going to say, you know what? I'm coming to Jesus today. I want to be forgiven. I want my life to be different. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would love to have God with me all the time. Because I don't know about you, if there is a God, I'd want to roll with him all day long. I mean, you'd want God in your posse, your entourage, right? I mean, if you're going to roll, might as well roll with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? I mean, it's pretty logical, right? It's like you could have all these peeps or you can have God with you. It's like, yeah, I'll take God. I don't mind those peeps either. For some of you, you're going to give your life to Jesus today by the end of the service. And it's the best thing you can do because then God starts the process. What's interesting is God's already doing the process. You're just resisting it all over the place right now. From the outside, God is working on you. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God gets on the inside and starts working you on the inside out from the depths of your soul outward. Speaking of it ain't bad to being all good, listen to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. He says, and this is one of those verses, you're not going to like this, you guys. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Isn't that the worst verse in the Bible? That's one of them, right? Some of you says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. That's an even worse translation. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Wow. Don't do anything with grumbling and complaining that we might become blameless. I love that. And harmless children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's what God is doing. That's interesting. Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. Every single generation of humanity has always been crooked and perverse. But God has a group of people who he's doing a work in and saying, look, I just want you to be different. I want you to be peculiar from the predominant narrative of how we live. And what's interesting is Paul was talking about a Greco-Roman culture. There's been all sorts of other cultures since then, but it's still the same today, that we may be faultless and harmless. Now, because there's nothing bad said, the challenge in this letter ends up playing out more like an exhortation and an encouragement than a legitimate challenge. So look at verses 9 to 11. It says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Now, all of these, you take these three verses together and you get a simple idea. Let God keep you and keep your crown. Let God keep you and keep your crown. Now, Jesus hits a number of things in these verses, and I want to take each one of them, albeit pretty briefly. Notice he begins in, in verse 9 
that I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, the idea of the synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews and are not, this has popped up a number of times in the letters. You have to realize that for the early church, for the first about 50 years of the church of Jesus Christ, they were persecuted by the Jewish people, and then they were summarily persecuted by the Roman Empire as a whole. Until, ironically enough, the Roman Empire decided to adopt Christianity as its official religion. Okay? So, so for the early church at this time, there were people who were ethnically Jewish who persecuted the church because they said, look, you guys are Gentiles. You can't be the people of Yahweh. We are. They believed it was ethnically driven because our descendants are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then thus we are the people of God. And what's interesting is Jesus calls them a number of times in these letters, the synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews, but are not. And the apostle Paul, in writing his letters, makes the case over and over and over again, referencing Deuteronomy chapter 30, that a person is Jewish, not one outwardly, but someone who's inward. The circumcision of God is not of the flesh or the foreskin, but of the heart. And God is making a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue including the Jewish people, but not only the Jewish people. And so Jesus begins by talking to this church in Philadelphia and saying, look, I'm going to make those who are the synagogue of Satan, those who are persecuting you, they're going to come, they're going to bow down before your feet, they're going to know that I loved you, and they're going to worship. He's saying, look, even though nobody believes you, even though those Jewish people think you're wrong, ultimately, Ultimately speaking, they're going to come and they're going to bow their knee to Jesus. That's a powerful exhortation. Imagine in the midst of some persecution to hear that. It makes you think of Philippians chapter 2. Remember, it says that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Paul says that, that is a seriously weighty statement. He's saying, look, Even if you don't believe in Jesus, ultimately you will bow the knee because he is king of kings and lord of lords. For some of us, we bow the knee out of our own will in in response to the grace of God, and we say yes, and we give our lives to Jesus. But if you say no to Jesus, on that day when everything is known, you're going to bow your knee to Jesus anyway, except it's not unto salvation and forgiveness, it's unto eternal destruction. And not because Jesus is mean or God is mean. It's because we are stubborn and God is a gentleman. People say, I wouldn't want to believe in a God who would send somebody to hell. I'm like, yes, you do want to believe in that God. Just the way, would you ever want to believe that a judge was a good judge if he released Charles Manson under his own recognizant because he's a nice judge? Can you imagine that? Imagine if somebody raped and molested hundreds of kids. The judge like, I'm a loving judge. Let them go. Would anybody like that judge? Would anyone think that's a good judge? Do you think that judge is worthy of being worshipped as perfect? Of course not. But then we say, I wouldn't want to worship a God who would send someone. Really? So you want a God who's unjust? I mean, seriously? See, every knee is going to bow to Jesus. Now, maybe it's a bad example. Maybe it's a good example. If you know who's going to win the Super Bowl and you're a betting person, you're going to bet on the one who wins, right? Pretty logical if you're a betting person. 
right? So why not Jesus? If every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord, then why not do it now? I mean, why not? Listen, I'm passionate about this because I live this. I remember reading all the books of all the different religions, trying to understand what do Buddhists think and what do these people think and what do the Hare Krishnas think? And I'm grateful for their free vegetarian food when I was hungry and in college, you know? What do these people think? When I'm in school and I'm learning all about what educated people think. And I'm just like, and finally I'm just reading this. I'm like, okay, so it says here that every single knee is going to bow to this guy, Jesus. Everybody. And I started thinking to myself, okay, well, one, A, is that true? And two, if that's true, then if I got to bow, I might as well do it now and get on the team, then find out that I hitched up my time and energy and life to the losing team. It's a pretty logical step, I think. You know what I found? It's not about fire insurance for eternity. It's not about that. It includes that. But it's about heaven on earth right now. It's about, see, God doesn't say give up this life so you can have eternal life. He says, look, give up this life so you can really have life now and you get life later. And, and, and even though the synagogue of Satan, these people who are Jews, but they're really not, they don't get it. Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia, don't worry, they're going to get it. At some point, they're going to get it, and they're going to come. They're going to know that I loved you. They're going to know that they know that they know that I am who I said I am. So not only that, notice verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, (laughs) this verse opens up a huge theological can of worms. To to break it down real simply, he said, because you've kept the word uh, to persevere, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. The Bible teaches about a time that is yet to come when the whole world will be in what is called tribulation. It It comes through a lot of different names in Jeremiah. It talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, and that's Jeremiah 30, verse 7. In the book of Daniel, it's called the times, time, and half a time. The the preponderance of the book of Revelation is about this time when God will be testing the earth, pouring forth judgment for a, a world that has rebelled against him. Some people call it the apocalypse. There's all different names for it. But in the end of the day, this verse simply teaches that the church, who is a persevering church, will be kept from that hour. Some people call this the rapture. Now, those of you who've been around church for a while, everybody uses the end time stuff as a a dividing line. I just think that's silly because God only has one bride. And so I think in our discussions of the end times, what we call eschatology, I pretty much hold to one eschatological view is that until Jesus is back, we just got to keep doing what we're doing, keep working for Jesus. If you're ever involved in a church that divides over a whole bunch of things that haven't happened yet, I'd say that's an unhealthy place to be. Some of you right now are even upset that I even said that. In the end of the day, there's one church. We have all sorts of views on the end times. You say the word rapture in church, and some people are like, oh, this guy needs to go to Bible college. Listen, I've read all those books. Believe me. The simplest way to interpret this is that there is a tribulation coming on the whole world, and the, and the faithful, persevering church is going to be kept from it. That's the simplest way to interpret it. 
isn't it? If you just take it, if you took my soon-to-be second grader Obadiah and said, Obadiah, this verse says this, what does it mean? He's going to say, well, it means that if we follow God's word and we're patient, then there's a big problem that's coming and we're not going to be a part of it. That's what it means. I believe God is smart enough to mean what he says and says what he means. So in all of our theological constructions, I always believe that the best theology is a biblical theology. Let's tie our train to the word of God and not to some structure, whether it's from the enlightenment, pre-enlightenment, or now we have all sorts of post-enlightenment. It's funny that they want to have postmodern theological structures. That's, that's ironic at best. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, you're like, great. For those of you who don't, don't worry about it. But notice this. Because you have kept my word to persevere, I'll keep you from the time of trouble. I love that. See, it shows God's keeping and our keeping. Because we deal with the knobs on our side of the world, God says, okay, I, you're, do, you're keeping my word, I'm keeping you from the trouble time. And then notice in verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Remember I said, let God keep you and keep your crown. He's saying, look, hold on. I'm coming. I'm going to be there soon. Hold on. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. That word crown in the Greek, there's two words for crown. There's the word diadem, which is a, a ruler's crown. And then there's the word stephanos, which is a victor's crown. Before they gave gold medals at the Olympics, they'd give these little garland crowns. That word, keep your crown, it's, it's the victor's crown. It's the crown of somebody who's competed in a race and won. I love this. God says, look, let me keep you. You honor your son, let me keep you, and then you'll keep your crown as well. That's why, remember, it's all about being faithful to what God has put in front of us. About being faithful. God said, look, Hold fast. Just hold on. Keep going. No one's going to take your crown. I love that. Now, we close out in verses 12 and 13. It says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, to put this in three words and then to explain it to you, this verse literally means that we just need to be brand new. Be brand new. Be brand new. Why? Notice what he says. For the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. You become a permanent pillar. Remember I told you about that earthquake in Philadelphia, AD 17? When an earthquake happens, and there, one of the only things that were left standing were the big pillars in the temples. It's the only thing. It had structural. It could, it could hang in there. And God is saying, look, to him who overcomes, I'm going to make him a pillar in my temple. I'm going to make him a permanent part of my living temple. Jesus is As you're listening to Jesus' Real Radio, most people just assume that everybody who listens are followers of Jesus. But I realize that right now, there are a number of you who've never committed your life to Jesus, who've never embraced 
in your heart and in your mind the fact that Jesus is real, that he really is God, that he really lived a perfect life, that he really died on the cross for your sins, that he really rose again because death couldn't hold him, that he really ascended into heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father, and that he really poured out his Holy Spirit to indwell anyone who would believe. And I believe that there are some of you right now listening to my voice who today is the day that you are going to say yes to Jesus, even right now, because now is the acceptable hour. Today is the day of salvation. And listen, you might not have another opportunity to say yes to Jesus. This moment is sacred. And I believe that you need to simply respond to Jesus by saying, I believe in Jesus. I receive your forgiveness, God. I receive your pardon for my mistakes. And God, I want to be part of your family. God has set a place at the family table and he's put your name on it. And he is waiting for you simply just to take your seat as part of his family. Jesus is inviting you because he's real. Simply respond to him right now, right where you are.